morning. It's, uh, it was a little hot and muggy outside today, but uh, yesterday was gorgeous. It's sad that it's almost the end of summer here. Everyone's going back to school. We were at the pool, and it was just dead yesterday. There was no one else there. So the girls basically had free reign. They could go anywhere they wanted to. It was a lot of fun. But it's, it's all coming to, the, to an end. Today's the last day. It's open for the season. So now we get into our fall mindset. So the pews will be full again. Vacations are over. It's back to the, the humdrum of life once again. Uh, last time I was up here, I spoke to you out of Ecclesiastes 1. Uh, before that, it was Genesis 3, and, and more or less a series that we're going through Ecclesiastes, trying to form a biblical philosophy of life. And so we come to Ecclesiastes 2. Uh, last, last time I was able to preach to you, uh, we spoke about Solomon, the teacher, that he set out as a teacher to teach us which pursuits are meaningful in life uh, that we live under the sun. And there's this whole philosophy of under the sun versus above the sun. And basically, when we view life from under the sun, we're focused on the daily occurrences of our life and the daily events, and we're not focusing above the sun onto the purposes of God and being obedient to Him. And so his basic thesis in chapter 1 was if our life pursuits do not change the state of humanity in some way to redeem man from the consequences of the fall, then they are lived without meaning. So we covered, uh, we covered Genesis 3, the fall, where Adam and Eve ate the fruit that was forbidden by God, which caused us to be uh, the ground to be cursed and for other consequences to come. There to be strife between husband and wife. And this was all as a result of the fall. And so any action that we do that does not in some way change or redeem humanity from that original fall is seen as meaningless. It adds no value. And if you look throughout the history of humankind... In chapter 1, he basically goes through that nothing has changed. Humanity remains much the same. And I went, we, this week we went to the uh, Art Institute and peered through all the art and walked around. And it was amazing to see, you know, it, they have coins from 3,000 years ago. And the coins look pretty much like the dimes I have in my pocket. There isn't much difference. It, the economy was basically the same then as it is now. Uh, once you have the Romans come to power, it's pretty much the same economy. So out of all these thousands of years, we still have poverty, we still have starvation, we still have oppression, we still have injustices, we still have uh, devastation from man-made catastrophes. We have all of these things that... We've had since the beginning of time, since the fall. And so we come into chapter 2, and in chapter 1, Solomon says, I'm going to set out and test 
all of man's activities to see if they are worthy of adding meaning to life. And basically his conclusion is everything is meaningless under the sun. And keep that in mind, we're looking at from perspective of under the sun. Uh, at work this week, we had, a, we had an event, a team event. They divide us up into different teams, and we get together, and mostly it's all drinking. Of course, I don't do the drinking, but the event, always alcohol is surrounded, you know, involved in some way. And this time, we had to go from place to place and do an activity and, you know, eat go to a bar and eat a half a thing of peanuts, uh, taste some wine and say what kind of wine it is. And uh, we had to do a few, a word puzzle and different events. And it, it's just to have fun and to build uh, relationships within your team. And so we did this, and I went with, I went with our group. And, and by the time we got close enough to the end, Everyone was feeling pretty good. And so somehow we were talking about the organ that they're taking away the, the organ at the Cubs at, at Wrigley Field. They're no longer going to have the organ. Which, which led into that, that uh, one day when I was preaching, it happened to be my birthday, and Joanne played, the or, you know, played happy birthday to me. And the organ. That was one of the coolest things I've had on my birthday ever done. Thanks, Joanne. I don't know, it just sounded awesome to have happy birthday played on the organ. And, and, I, and so then came into the conversation, you preach? And because I don't, I don't go around telling everybody that I, that I preach and stuff. I just, I just try to live, live my life an example of Christ. And so I said, yeah, I'm actually preaching this weekend. And so they asked, well, what are you going to be preaching? And this is why they're all drinking and they're taking shots and everything. <laughs> and, and, and I tell them, well, I'm actually going to be preaching on, does pleasure bring meaning to life? Can you get meaning out of life from pleasure? And it just happened to be right on point. And, and of course, as soon as I said that, one, one of the guys says, heck yeah, you know, is, he already had a conclusion that that's exactly how you give meaning to life. And I said, well, that's probably not the conclusion I came to, but it is a conclusion. <laughs> and, and so I ended up, I, on Friday, or Thursday, I gave him the outline to my sermon so he could see the conclusion I came to. But, you know... The people I work with and the world that we live in is constantly pursuing pleasure. And many of the activities we do in our own lives are to seek pleasure. And so it, it isn't by coincidence that the first in-depth uh, pursuit that Solomon seeks is that of pleasure. So Life by the credo, work hard and play harder, only leads to anxiety and depression. But the life lived in obedience to God is filled with enjoyment. Living for pleasure, whether through hard work or pure indulgence, 
will only lead to grief, but the man who fears God will find enjoyment in his work. And so we come to chapter 2, and Solomon starts out in verse 1. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. So if we look at verse 1, he goes right into the pursuit of pleasure. And he thought, if you read that, he says, I thought with my heart. He's not praying to God to teach, give him wisdom. He's not going through uh, God to try to find out what pursuits are good for man. He's testing it himself. And he's doing it through his own heart, his own resources, and his own will. And so he tests pleasure, and he, he tests himself with pleasure. He subjects himself to the first of all human pursuits. Genesis 3, 6, right, get right back to where we started this uh, series on. Good for food and pleasing to the eye. That is what Eve saw when she saw the fruit. And, and the, the serpent was talking to her. She says, this fruit is good for food and pleasing to the eye. There was a sense of pleasure about it. It's like that peach when you finally get the nice ripe peach. You know when you bite into that thing, you're going to have juice and sweetness just burst into your mouth. There's a sense of pleasure about that. That's what she was thinking. She was thinking that in some way, this fruit is going to give her pleasure. And that is one of the reasons why she decided to, to disobey God and eat, eat the fruit. You know, the world knows you're seeking that we, our flesh, is seeking pleasure. And you'll, you'll see it everywhere. It's on billboards when you go down the streets. It's on radio advertisements, TV advertisements, it's all around us. You know, there's pleasure seeking with the spas, and you're seeking pleasure through just free time, and everything's, everything that people advertise is going to in some way give you pleasure. You know, and Budweiser, they do a great job. They have the Clydesdale, this hardworking horse. So you have the, the side of pleasure where you work hard and you accomplish things, and then they have the girls with everything hanging out. Because that's the other side of pleasure, right? So what are they advertising with? They're advertising with Clydesdales and cleavage. Because that's what sells. That's what talks to the flesh. That's what people are trying to pursue, right? I mean, is that not what America is built on? Is working hard and get, getting everything you want to obtain? I mean, that was one of the... That's one of, one of the fundamental precepts we're taught all around is that you work hard to play harder. I mean, this is what under the sun is telling us. And so we come to verse 2. He says, Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So he goes to a lifestyle of live, laugh, and love. But it won't lead to a fulfilled life. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll will set you free. 
until you are imprisoned by broken relationships and physical and mental disabilities or debilitations. You know, laughter. Laughter is foolish. It's great to laugh. And I don't think he's saying here that you shouldn't laugh because that is not his intention. Just, you can't laugh at all of life. Life is, there's lots of tragedy in life. There's lots of things that you just can't laugh at. Now, there's lots of things we should laugh at that we don't, but there's also, there's, you can't find meaning to your life by laughing your way through life. It's just foolishness because there's some things that you just can't laugh at. And later in, in, his, in his writings, we'll get into things that aren't laughable. And in fact, he actually thinks that being in a house of sorrow or in mourning is better than being at a feast of people laughing, right? Because you get to reflect on what is important in life. And laughter, although it's good medicine, is not the end all. It does not give meaning to your life. And he goes on in verse 3, cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. Basically, this, is the, this to me is the partying scene. He, he went... He goes all out. He's going to the nightclubs. He's, he's partying. He's having parties at his palace. He's, you know, has all that would come with that. The music, the dancing. He's giving himself completely over to indulgence. And, and he's completely giving himself over to his fleshly desires and over to where his heart is. Right? What his heart is seeking. And you see that uh, he, in verse 3 he says that I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do. He did this while his mind was still guiding him with wisdom. So in all of this, he doesn't give himself over to it completely because in some way he's remembering that he's doing this to find out is there a pursuit worth living is there a reason that pleasure should give me meaning to life? So although the living the lifestyle of a fool, he still maintained his mindset of testing for purpose. You know, my father had a good friend uh, by the name of Kenny, and uh, recently he passed away uh, with, with cancer. But when I was growing up, I, I knew him pretty well because uh, I would work for him every once in a while. And he, he, had, he had money, he had girls, he was always drinking, and, and he lived this lifestyle. And then when you, you fast forward 20 years and, and you look at his life, he died with, with no one by his side. Uh, he, he died in a mobile home because that's all he could afford. He he, at one time, he had the motorhomes, the Corvettes, the Harleys. You know, he, he had the house with the pool and the parties. He, he had everything that the heart would desire. And yet, he ended his life with no one there beside him. And in, in the end, I bet he would say it was all meaningless. And he, he lived out life for the the pure purpose of seeking pleasure. He had broken relationships. 
and he had two ex-wives, children from multiple women. You know, this was what he left. This is the legacy or the impression he left. And, and that is the life of pure indulgence and seeking pleasure. Verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So we go into verse 4 through 11. And he kind of switches gears. He went from just pure indulgence, the drunken laughter, having fun, let live, you know, the, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, the live, love, laugh lifestyle that is promoted. And he says, you know what, that is of no gain. So what I'll do is I'll work hard and I'll achieve great feats. Men and women will come from miles around to see what I have done in my kingdom. And so that's what he puts his, that's what he puts his mind to. Hard work to gain the better things in life is full of toil and no gain. Indulging in finer things of life acquired through hard work is meaningless. So in verse 4 we see that he, he gives himself everything uh, that delights the heart of man. You know, he had, he had an amazing setup. When the queen of Egypt came to, to Solomon's palace and saw his kingdom and all that he had done, and his leadership, and the treasures, and the, the, the fruit trees, and everything that he had, she was just flabbergasted. She was amazed. That is, that is how amazing his palace was and his kingdom was. And, you know, MTV Cribs has never seen anything that displayed wealth and extravagance like this. Never. You know, he had... Houses, vineyards, orchards, gardens, fountains, pools, servants, herds, silver, gold. As many women as you could imagine at his hand, he had. He had it all. And he's going to come to the conclusion that, that he denied himself nothing. That his heart did take delight in it, but that was his only reward. So there was no purpose to what he had done. There was no meaning. It didn't fill him more than a momentary satisfaction of the heart. That is all he gained from all his labor, was a momentary satisfaction of his heart. And then it was gone. Because once you've built the, the palace, 
there's only a bigger palace to build. You know, I, I was in the car with, with one of the partners at work in his car, and he had a, a beautiful uh, BMW 5 Series, and it, it had everything except one thing. He didn't get the most upgraded stereo. And so him and another uh, manager are talking, and, and they're discussing that he really wishes he would have got the better stereo. And, and I was thinking, you know, you, you have everything. You know, I couldn't tell you the difference between the stereo you have and the stereo you're, you wanted, right? There's no difference. My ears couldn't hear the difference. Maybe someone with trained ears could, but, but I couldn't. But that's the way our heart works, right? He was so satisfied for that moment when he bought that car. And then within a few days, he was disappointed because of the stereo. And that's how our life is. We buy our dream house, and then we're disappointed because it, it just needs one more room. If it just had that one more room, it would be the perfect house. And we do that with life. We do it... At, at all times. That is what uh, satisfying the heart is. That's, that's trying to seek uh, purpose through pleasure. So he toiled to achieve in verse, verse 11. When I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So he had tried pleasure through laughter and drunkenness and found no fulfillment. And now through hard work and still the same result. There's no lasting sense of purpose and meaning if we're viewing things from under the sun and seeking to fill our lives with purpose under the sun. So if you look, if money satisfies people, if it brings purpose... Uh, the Wall Street Journal, a few well, last month, had a, a little write-up about wealth. And they finally came out with a study that showed that money can bring you a little more happiness. But only when you compare your wealth to others. That's the only extra happiness you get out of your money, is when you compare your wealth to others, it makes you feel a little bit better. Otherwise... There's, there's been survey after survey, study after study that has shown once you get above the poverty level, once you get above the poverty level, there really is no difference in the satisfaction of people that are extremely wealthy to the middle class. They're all about the same. So money really doesn't... When, when you look at does money give meaning to life, when measuring their inner life, this is the quote from the article, when measuring their inner life, money has less of an impact. It has little to no impact once you measure the inner things of life. If you compare yourself to others, it makes you feel great. But if you look inside and you try to see if it added any purpose to your life or gave you any purpose for a living, it really didn't. So we've looked at pleasure gained by wisdom, hard work. And we've looked at folly through laughter and parting. And it ends up the same. 
it ends up as a forgotten life. The life of partying and laughter ends quickly, but so do the pleasures from the achievements of hard work. So, you have gaining pleasure through wisdom, which is hard work, and and obtaining pleasures through just foolishness, which is laughter and partying, they both have the same result. Now, one is through wisdom and one is through folly, but in the end, they're both unfulfilling. Verses 12 through 16. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless." For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man must too die. So he turned his thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. In other words, he said, I live both lifestyles seeking pleasure. And so I I decided I would step back and process them both. And which is better? The conclusion is, neither. They end up in the, same, in the same place. That all that you have done, that it, it is forgotten. Now he does say in verses 13 and 14, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. And, and that's because the hard work is better than just the destructive lifestyle of seeking pleasure through laughter and drunkenness. But the end result is still the same. If your mindset is under the sun, all your activities will not be fulfilling. So wisdom has value, but the same fate overtakes them both. What then do you gain by being wise? Nothing. In this context, when you're viewing things from under the sun when you have an under-the-sun mindset, when you're going only to fill the, the desires of your flesh, you will have nothing gained under the sun. And you'll, death will occur to both the fool and the wise man, and you'll soon be forgotten. Some examples are the Taj Mahal. Who built the Taj Mahal? Anyone? I don't know either. Does anyone even know what people group built the Taj Mahal? Most of you don't even know probably what country it's in. I I do know it's in India. But I actually don't think Indians built the Taj Mahal. I think it was another group of nomads that that built the Taj Mahal. Uh, The Great Pyramids. Now everyone knows probably where the Great Pyramids are. But what pharaoh built the Great Pyramids? Now these are two of the, the seven wonders of the world, right? And we don't know anything about them except their names, basically. 
And the reason is, is because men are forgotten. Whether you accomplished great tasks, great feats in your life, or you lived, you lived the drunken, partying lifestyle, you're still forgotten. And if you're viewing things from under the sun, there is no meaning in your actions. Verses 17 through 23. This is, this is his conclusion when he looked at both of them. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a, well, he, whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and my skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all his toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. So seeking pleasure only brings grief and depression. Just like seeking wisdom and knowledge only brought grief and sorrow. From chapter 1. The fool gains pleasure through destruction And the wise man gains pleasure through the toil and strife. Both are anxious and sleepless. So if you're trying to obtain purpose through seeking pleasure under the sun, you're only going to have an anxious and sleepless life. All his days, his work is in pain and grief. How many feel that way? A lot of us do. Whether we're going to admit it to our kids. You know, we always ask our kids, what are you going to do when you grow up? It's because we're still looking for ideas. (laughs) We're still looking for that job that's not painful and grievous. And that's for the work done under the sun. If you are working for, for under the sun, it will be grievous. You won't have control over all the work you do. We all know that. There's always someone that has control over what we do. We may build something, and then we have to just give it up. A lot of people gave up a lot of things they built in the last couple of years. A lot of people. You toil and you strive, and someone else who didn't, didn't gets the reward. What does man get for all his toil? He gets nothing under the sun. Nothing but sleepless nights and pain. That's what we get under the sun. If we're viewing everything from under the sun, that is exactly what we get. If you don't believe me, let's, let's talk about some statistics here about Americans. About 10% of Americans, this is from a recent USA Today article, although the statistics are from 2005, so that's before the recession. It'd be interesting to see how many people are in antidepressants now? But 10% of Americans are antidepressants. Uh, and that's twice the number in 1996. Uh, basically, I think what's going on is we're just using 
pharmaceuticals to replace alcohol, but, you know, it's all the same. There's something missing in Americans' lives. One of the wealthiest uh, cultures, one of the wealthiest nations that's ever walked the face of the earth, and, and there's still something missing. And I would say America's in the last 30 years, has done nothing but seek pleasure through drugs, through you name it, through wealth, through whatever. Americans are on a mission to seek how to get as much pleasure out of life as possible. And yet, we're still depressed. We still haven't found the answer. In another article in the Life Science, uh, many Americans are sleep-deprived zombies. A quarter of us now use some form of sleeping pill. You having trouble sleeping at night? You feel a little anxious? Maybe it's because you're focused on things under the sun and not things above the sun. A quarter. That means there's at least 35 people here probably on, that put themselves to sleep using some form of pill. That's a lot of people. I know what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night and start tossing and turning over work. My wife knows what it is to be woken up by me tossing and turning at night over work. You know, this is, it, it's not uncommon for all of us. But most of the time when I do that, it's because my mind is focused under the sun and not above the sun. So let's look at verses 24 and 26. He concludes his, his analysis of seeking life through pleasure in verses 24 through 26. Before we are focused all under the sun, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. So what happens? He focuses above the sun. All this before was life below the sun. Now he looks above the sun and he says, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Meaning only comes when we enjoy life's blessings given by our sovereign God. Food, drink, work. Live to please God and not yourself. And enjoy the things He gives us. Let God give our lives meaning. See, if we seek to please God and live in obedience, then we will find meaning to our life and we'll have purpose. A God-fearing man lives to please God. He looks above the sun and finds meaning in living in obedience. The sinner lives under the sun and toils and strives to build up wealth for the one who comes behind him, a chasing after the wind. So, 
you get back to my work example, and I've got these coworkers I work with. Some are friends. Most are just coworkers. And I'll tell you that they're all striving under the sun. And they're working hard. And they're all miserable like everybody else. Even though they have the nice cars and good money and they may have beautiful wives and children. I've, <clears throat> you know, I've got partners I work with that they have a child born and they take maybe one day off or they'll be back at work the next day. And they've got wives at home wondering where they are. I've got others that I work with that not only is the husband a partner, but the wife will be a partner. I think their, their nanny knows more about their kids than they do. Now, I'm not saying children give purpose to life because we'll go through that as well. But you do need to take what God has given you and you need to enjoy it because this working for pleasure, this building, trying to build your empire, whether it's small or large, it does not bring pleasure to life or it does not bring purpose to life. It's momentary pleasure for the heart to find and then it's gone, it's vapid dissipates. But if we focus on God and be obedient to Him and know that we're working for Him and that we work hard, we eat and we enjoy what God has given us, then we will find purpose. We will find meaning. We don't know exactly what it means. We won't know everything, but we will know that what we did was in obedience to Him and that we were focused above the sun and not below the sun. Let's end in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you 